welcome to Bible Banter with Barb and Jarrett, a podcast from the Episcopal Church of St. Martin in the Fields in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. In this episode, Barb and Jarrett discuss the scripture for Trinity Sunday, Year A, focusing on the Gospel reading, Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20. Listen in. Hello and welcome to another edition of Bible Banter with me, Jarrett Kerbel, Rector of Church of St. Martin in the Fields, and joined as always by Barb Ballinger, Associate for Spiritual Formation and Care. So welcome to Bible Banter with Barb and Jarrett. Today we're going to be reading and studying a passage from the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew 28, 16 through 20, often referred to as the Great Commission. So Barb's going to read that. And then we're going to talk about going. Great. (laughs) Here I go. The 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. Amen. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God, I think. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Significant ambivalence here at Bible Banter that we want to work through under kind of three topics. How not to go. What's keeping us from going. And what might be a new way to go. So let's get into our going here. So what's holding us back from doing the Great Commission, from going like Jesus wants us to go? We've had thousands of years of how not to go. I think that is just, I think anybody could begin to rattle off the how not to goes and the kind of mash that the the churches have made of following this commission. So write how not to go. Do not go and take over an entire people, um, not listen to them, not at all be interested in their way of experiencing the divine and forcing them to be baptized. That's how not to go. That's how not to go. How not to go, don't throw plague blankets into their villages uh, and then call them heathen and justify their killing and extract their resources. Don't claim manifest destiny on a whole country and move your way across thinking you can exterminate everybody in your path. That's how not to go. How not to go. Don't bring a military. Don't take people away with you back to the continent that you came from. Don't insist that people need to die for this by killing them if they don't. How not to go. How not to go, right. How not to go. Don't justify the enslavement of whole peoples based on your rationalization that you're sharing the gospel with them and baptizing them. That's a way not to go. Yeah. And don't assume that, that the way that they have experienced the divine has nothing to do with the way you experience the divine, or that the divine might just fit into very, very small categories. That's not the way to go. 
when here's a, a paradoxical bridge of sorts from how not to go to what keeps us from going. And it's this, I find it really fascinating that um, slave owners in the American South would self-justify their evil by claiming conversion of Africans at the same time withholding the ability to re read the Bible. Because reading the Bible, on some level, they knew was dangerous. Mm -hmm. That would be dangerous if these people claimed their humanity as readers and interpreters of a text that had some interesting things to say about dignity and humanity and liberation. Yeah, yeah and freedom <laughs> and the release of captives. <laughs> right, and, and the African-American enslaved population still figured out how to read that text and share those stories and found their own secretive, powerful ways to interpret these texts in the voice of liberation, in the voice of supporting their humanity, and yeah. kindled the flame of true faith in that. And what I want to say about all of it is, if only we had listened to the gospel as they were proclaiming it. Mm. So here is a way where the gospel went, the gospel found good soil, the gospel found independent, dignified interpreters who were going to pass it on without any of the domination. In fact, against the domination. Yeah, it's as though the, um, the dominators that brought the gospel kind of went in a way that uh, they didn't really bring the good news with them, but they did bring the Bible. And when it, that became something that oppressed people could access, they began to see the Jesus that actually got their way ahead of those who thought they were bringing him over. And, and the encounter with that Jesus is incredibly damaging to empire. It, un, it undermines, it undoes, it, um, it sides with the captives every time. So, so one lesson in how to go, you know, turning from how not to go to how to go, is go listening. Mm. Go out and listen. Go out and make relationship ready to see where Christ is already. And yeah. The people you're relating to are relating to Christ. Yeah, and I think it's also go steeped in the story of Jesus. Go steeped in the gospel. Because very often people went steeped in the creed. And the creed really doesn't give many lines, none in fact, to the life of Jesus, yep. of the proclaiming, healing, teaching life of Jesus, right? Yep. So if we only go armed with creeds, then we begin to force people into certain ways of thinking. When you go informed and led by the gospel of Jesus, then you go based on a story of a loving, healing teacher who promises life to the ends of the earth, who desires for people to not be afraid of death, who provides something that is counter to empire and counter to oppression that throws that off. So we go listening and we go immersed. We go having done our own spiritual homework, our own spiritual growing 
and basting in the gospel. So we are really representing Jesus and not everything that um, imitates or uh, tries to stand in his place, like the forces of coercion, the forces of empire, the forces of death. You know, all these things that we can bring with us, like a colonist brings a um, pandemic disease with them, for example. Plague, <laughs> perhaps. Just reach for that somehow. But, you know, um, you know, we really have to be deep in our self-examination and deep in our story if we're going to share that story, which I think leads us to this other question we had, which is, why are Episcopalians so reticent around the Great Commission? So uh, reticent or reluctant to go, to go yes. in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. When, if you sat through one of our liturgies recently, is there any way to avoid the Trinity in the way we worship? Nope. Nope. It is, it is wall-to-wall Trinitarian Christianity in an Episcopal liturgy. If you want to know what we believe, listen to what we say. <laughs> wall-to-wall Trinity. <laughs> <laughs> Which I love. It's, I love the Trinity. I don't know where I'd be without it, but I love it too. And I and I think in our best imaginative work, we imagine the Trinity as dynamic relationship that is constantly pulling humanity into relationships of love. And we can set aside, you know, two men and a bird, you know, or a, you know. So I think that um, when we begin to imagine the Jesus that is with us, the God that is with us always to the end of the age, then that means going by following and allowing the spirit, the creator, the redeemer to draw us into the places that need the creator, the redeemer, the sanctifier, right? So if we really believed the part of this that said Jesus was with us to the end of the age, and that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit that is the dynamic God that draws us into new life, if we really believed that part of it, then I think we wouldn't be so afraid of harm. That's right. Because we have been, I think, rightly very ashamed of the harm done in Jesus' name. Right. And imagine that Jesus is pretty ashamed of that too. So what does it mean to go and offer life instead of harm, offer care, offer listening. That's right. I mean, that's the ambivalence comes directly from our feeling of responsibility. As mainline Christians, we feel we've done enough self-examination to know that our tradition has a responsibility in some tremendous horrors in world history. And we are very ashamed of it. And we bring that shame into our interactions so that when we might share that we are deeply moved by Jesus and he is the source of our life and he guides us and he is our savior, we shut up, we shut down. Mm-hmm. Because we're just afraid of all the implications of that. We're afraid of all the conversations that might set off. We, part of this is homework. We need to imagine ourselves doing it. Yeah. And then imagine ourselves having a response like it says in first peter an account of the faith that is in us Mm, absolutely i love that it's my favorite scripture in all the scriptures yeah it it was my um 
MDiv thesis had that title, an account mm-hmm. for faith that is in us. Mm-hmm. So I, I recognize the ambivalence people have. You know, I'm afraid to bring this up because I feel so responsible for this horrible history. I don't feel like I have the responses in me to share. And I really think listening is a great thing to do, learning from the other person, but also having ourselves prepared to say just really simple things like, I draw so much comfort in my relationship from Christ. Yeah. I have experienced so much healing because of my relationship with Christ. Yeah. I find my moral guide and center in Christ. And just let that sit there without saying too much. Yeah. If the person is curious, if they're not curious, you know, shake off the, your sandals. It's all good. Let your, let your peace stay. Yeah. If they are curious and God makes an opening, because that's what the Holy Spirit does, then you take the opening and you share a little more about your faith and ask them about theirs. And I think this is evangelism any mainline Christian could actually do. Well, and the other thing is that I think one of the reasons, another reason why people don't go is because I wonder if people feel that they have a Jesus to introduce someone to. Mm. I mean, we can introduce people to liturgy and we can introduce people to uh, song and to prayer forms. But if you're going to go and, um, and, and make disciples, then those are followers and lovers of Jesus. Mm. And if we don't see ourselves as that, then it might be very um, awkward and frightening to try to offer that. So perhaps woven into this idea of preparation and woven into this great commission is an invitation to deeply know Jesus as being present, that present to the ends of the age, to the ends of our own selves, you know, and that to open ourselves to the life of Jesus within us may give us the story and the, uh, well, the faith, right, that we need to be able to share Jesus with others. Well, here it comes. This is where the Trinity comes in. Dun, da, da. <laughs> because we, um, we are immersed in the story of Jesus, as Barb said. That's the second person of the Trinity. We immerse ourselves in the one who shows us the faithfulness of God. This is what humanity and faithfulness to God looks like. What does it look like? Jesus. <laughs> second person of the Trinity. What empowers us to enter a life like Jesus? Oh, I know, I know. What, what, what? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. Woo! It empowers us to do and say the wonderful things that Jesus didn't said as a community. Yes. Let's be humble about this. No one's out there being Christ. As a community, we're Christ. Yeah, we're not going out there being the second person of the Trinity. Right. Um, <laughs> but we may be his body. Humility. Right. Yes. And, well, let's back up to the first person of the Trinity, since we've done these two. God, <laughs> the creator, mm. where we have the trust that God has created a world that is fundamentally in accordance, fundamentally receptive to this life shared in the Trinity. This world wants to be part of that love. This world wants to be part of that harmony. It is really crying out and sighing with its deepest sighs 
for a restoration, a repair to the covenant of life with God that is best exemplified in the life of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. There, the Trinity. Ta-da! Nice. Ta-da! So well, that as we go forth, what we are compelled by, what is our vision, what is our strength, what is our hope, it's this dynamic God that is creator, redeemer, sanctifier. Yep. That's right. I, I, the Trinity is so mysterious, but so rich for our spiritual life. Um, we just went through all these passages in the Gospel of John, which are essentially welcoming us into the inner life of the Trinity. Mm-hmm. That's, our, that's where we find our life. And I think that's the good news we have to share and to experience and to pray for as we go into Pentecost season. Here we come. But go. But go. 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 Well, thanks for going with us today for Bible banter. (laughs) We're always here. Uh, We'll be back next week with the next installment. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you, Barb. As always, this has been fun. That's a blast. Thank you for listening to this podcast from the Episcopal Church of St. Martin in the Fields in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe, review it, or share it with a friend. This episode was hosted by the Reverend Jarrett Kerbel and the Reverend Barbara Ballinger. It was edited by me, Natalie Hill. Our music is Sunday Drive by Silent Partner from the YouTube Audio Library. You are welcome to join us for worship online, both Sunday mornings and weekdays. Find the full schedule on our website at www.stmartinec.org forward slash worship. To learn more about the ministries and activities at St. Martin's, including biblical studies, Wellspring spiritual formation programs, and volunteer opportunities during COVID-19, please visit stmartinec.org. We'll be back again next week.